you can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered, none accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Just don't go set up. If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. Hi, I'm Jeff Howell. Let's not waste any time and bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Not too shabby. And the third member of our team, last but most definitely not least, he wears a number of hats, but for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award, fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003, spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thank you for the intro, brother. Uh, glad to be here, man. We're getting closer and closer to football season. I'm starting to get giddy. Yes. I got butterflies. <laughs> I, do, I do love the fact, shout out to our man CB, our man Chris Bennett. We got we we had 21 days until kickoff, so we got all the got all the Rod B highlights. And somebody responded to one of them because I was retweeting them on the uh, Longhorn Blitz Twitter account. And somebody responded with number 21 in our program, number one in our hearts. And I quote, hey. I quote tweeted saying, "Tell me, tell the world you're a Longhorn Blitz listener without telling the world you're a Longhorn Blitz listener." Amen, brother. Amen That's to that. That's a great point. 100%. <laughs> That is so. Yeah, I would like CB got your Okie State uh, interception up there too. I know everybody's seen the OU one, but I like bringing back all of them. I know. No, CB, that's my man, dog. CB, you get special shout out. I've been, CB's been, hell, listening to me since literally day one when I was over on the zone. And I want to say that I was the one yep. that started calling him CB in the beginning too. And now everybody calls him CB. So shout out to CB, man. He's known. Uh, throughout the Longhorn fandom. Of course, everybody knows who Chris Bennett is, but uh, appreciate him on that day, 21 days till. He always makes your boy feel special. When uh, when did you start at the zone, Rob? Was that 2008 or nine? Yeah, it was at the end of uh, eight. 2008? Yeah, end of eight, yeah. Yeah, okay. exactly. Toward the end of 2008, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we got we to gotta talk about the 2023 Longhorns. Uh, real quick, I don't want to belabor this point because we got camp stuff to talk about, but the coaches poll has come out, the AP poll has come out, 
really until we get CFP rankings at the end of October, the AP poll is going to be the poll of record. 11 in the AP poll, too high, too low, just right. Where are you guys on with, where are you guys with that? I think it's exactly where they need to be. You know, they're the highest ranked big 12 team Mm -hmm. outside the top 10. That is something Texas should earn. Um, You know, we've seen Texas be, you know, they haven't been ranked this high in terms of their big 12 media preseason poll, which has them finishing first in the big 12 that hadn't happened since 2009. And, you know, this this, being this high up in the AP poll also, I'm sure hasn't happened in a while too. So for Texas, uh, I think it's all about whether they can meet expectations or surpass expectations until they do that as a program based on the last 13 years, there's no reason to overrank the Longhorns because they have been an underachiever probably 12 out of the last 13 years. And I think, you know, that hopefully this year is the year they actually meet expectations. So I think they're, it's actually perfect place for Texas. So I went and looked at it, guys, in the last 14 years. So this will be the 14th. So in the previous 13 seasons, Texas has been ranked in the preseason AP poll nine times. And there's only been twice where they ended the poll higher than where they started it. Uh, that happened in 2018. Number 23 in the preseason finished ninth. And then last year, they were unranked and finished 25th. I mean, probably right where you expected them to be, but at the end of the day, it's still wow. they were not ranked to start the year and finish ranked. So how far back did you go? You said I just went back just to start starting with the 2010 season. Wow. That's and only twice you said have they actually finished higher than yep. they were initially ranked. Yep, and it shows you that they've been an underachiever. Mm-hmm. Four times, Rod. Four times in that stretch, they started ranked in the AP twenty top twenty five and finished unranked. Wow! Damn. Ooh. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. an ugly stat. You should, as Texas, you should never. I don't say. I don't say never, but and you shouldn't have four times, but you end up finishing unranked after being considered a top twenty five team. But it shows you that that's why people wonder why the vitriol, why the the hatred for Texas. There's a lot of reasons. Jealousy is a big part of it, too. Mm-hmm. Trust me on that. All right. They hate us because they ain't us. All right. That's a big part of it. But also, there's a big part of it that Texas is, you know, the they are the ultimate underachiever mm-hmm. where they have the resources, they have the talent, and they're always hyped up. And yet, lately, at least in the last, like I said, 13 years is kind of what we're dealing with here. Texas hasn't been able to meet expectations. This is one of those years where there are no excuses, um, pretty much. It'll all fall at the feet of the head coach if they cannot meet those expectations this year. For sure. Um, so I think we're all in agreement, just kind of it's not too high, it's not too low. It's in the it's in the general area. Yeah. And other than you know, seeing what I've seen with the eye test, which we talked about that last week, we've got a full week of camp and we've got a scrimmage in the books. And for all intents and purposes, and Rod, you you know this part of the grind, camp pretty much ends with the second scrimmage coming up this Saturday. After that, once you get to the following week, uh, you know you're kind of going through really what would be your your mock game week. You know what would what's your what's your practice schedule going to look like for a game week? Uh, I think so. A week from this coming Saturday, they'll actually do the mock game where you know they get dressed and go in the stadium and walk through all kinds of different scenarios. Pretty much the Rod, you've been part of those mock games. It's basically, hey. Anything that could possibly happen in the game, we're going to go through it, especially for you youngsters that haven't been through this before. And for the old heads, it just kind of gets you 
get you a little familiar with everything before you step back out there. Yeah, you want to get guys acclimated, and you want the for the the young guys. You're right; it's, it's actually more for them, so mm-hmm. they're not shell shocked by the entire experience. Uh, but I, yeah, basically after this, ne- even Sark says this by the way. After next scrimmage, that's the depth chart scrimmage. Yep, that's scrimmage that's going to determine pretty much the last finishing touches on the depth chart. They 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 have a pretty good idea right now who that's going to be, but there are some there are some guys making some moves. Right. There's yeah. some guys making some moves in the scrimmages. There are some guys who are trending in the right way. And the coaches are saying, hey, we need to give this guy a chance to, to crack this too deep because he's working his butt off. And I got to see if somebody else is going to relax or if they're going to let their foot off the gas. And this young guy is going to keep pushing or this other guy's going to keep pushing. So you still I think you, you as a coach, you want to keep that that competition level as high uh, as for as long as you can because once the season starts as we talked about it's all about game planning at that point you're not competing for jobs anymore if guys end up taking jobs it's because somebody wasn't performing and they had to go to a contingency plan or because of an injury and they go to a contingency plan so we're done with the competition within the team but you want to keep that competition going as long as possible there's some guys in the secondary starting to talk about it competing like hell trying to crack that too deep uh, O-line, I guarantee you, competing like hell, trying to crack that too deep because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Kyle Flood says, I got eight on my life, but, hey, man, I'm rotating. So who's trying to crack that too? So I, I, I love what's going on right now. This is one of my favorite parts of camp because, yeah, I, I, I'm happy somebody's trying to take my job. It was Nathan Basher and it was Michael Huff and it was Cedric Griffin, and it just made me a hell of a player because every day I woke up with the motivation I got to go earn my job. I got to keep my job. And I got to go play better than Nathan Basher and a young Michael Huff every damn day. And if I don't do it, then that's it. Like, I'm going to lose my gig. So I, I think Sark wants to keep that. You want to mm-hmm. keep that mentality going, man. That that I, that, that, that sharpens, really, the, 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 the culture and the character of your football team. You know, Rod, one of those positions, too, when you talk about the, the need to keep the competition going, Talk about corner and and Sark mentioned it. You know, I asked him about the field corner competition. Is anybody pushing Ryan Watts on the boundary, uh, especially with how hot it's going to be for that Rice game, that two thirty kick? Uh, the fact that he said Manny Muhammad and Terrence Brooks can play field or boundary. Uh, you know, you're going to have. I think you you got a nice little throw Gavin Holmes in there. I think you're going to have a nice little corner rotation going for that first game. And, and there's a couple other spots. Defensive lines, one of those. So it's good that you've got Alfred Collins' emergence coming through now that, you know, well, what do you do with three starters? Well, you're all you're going to need them all against Rice just because you don't want guys, you know, dragging and having just having somebody to spend a recovery week getting ready to go to Tuscaloosa the following week. Uh, but the position that <laughs> I, I, I told myself we were going to put off talking about it until we had a reason to talk about it, and, and I guess now we have a reason to talk about it. Man, that backup quarterback job, Sark said he wants to keep that competition going. I mean, that those that's what that was the exact verbiage he used on Monday. And especially you're coming off of a scrimmage where by all accounts, Arch Manning was really good. And Malik Murphy, again, by all accounts, he's had a good camp, but wasn't so good in the scrimmage. Uh keeping those young guys hungry and, and continuing to dangle that carrot out, not because of some, you know, mental game he's playing with the portal, but at this point, Rod Heat. He might not legitimately know who his backup quarterback is, whether whether he's you know he just wants to see a little bit more from Malik Murphy, or maybe Arch Manning is just performing to a level where Sark's like, you know what, I, I owe it to the team to take a look at this in case we do need to go to QB two. 
Yeah, uh, it is interesting that, you know, the reports coming out of scrimmage was that not only as a runner, but as a passer, Arch Manning started to, you know, he's considered a prodigy. So you're starting to see that accelerated development, right? In the spring game, very underwhelming performance uh, in the, you know, spur first scrimmage in training camp. He looks really good. First of all, before we start diving deep into this Arch Manning conversation about the backup quarterback conversation, okay, we got to talk about the quote from Sark about Arch that he was clocked at 20 miles per hour. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> I don't like, listen, I am not, <laughs> I'm not questioning, you know, whether the, the, I don't know, the, the, the stats are real and the numbers are real. Uh-huh. Um, I'm just more blown up, blown away by it. I mean, the NFL has the same tracking systems and body monitors. They track their players, too. I mean, you got Tyreek Hill and guys like that that are running like 23 miles per hour. I, are we, I mean, it's just, I don't know, it's just crazy for me. I cannot believe that Sark threw out there that he was running 20 miles per hour. Not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying I can't believe that it's real. Yeah, I no. can't believe that it's real. I, I can't believe that it's not butter. I can't believe that that's real. Yeah, it's it's one of those deals like, well, I mean, Sark has the data and I don't. So, I mean, I'm I'm going to take his word for it, I guess. Exactly. I, mean, that's kind of what, I mean, it could have, like you said, right, it could it could have been, it was off a little bit or maybe it wasn't 100%. Like, do precise. we need to recalibrate the devices? Like what? Are we, listen, I got an article from Pro Football Network and it says Hill, also the fastest, this is about Tyreek Hill, fastest ever recorded top speed in an NFL game. During his rookie season, he'll hit 23.2 miles per hour. Um, so we said, like, that, I mean, I, I, that's not, obviously 20 and 23 are very different. Yeah. But we're saying Arch Manning's at 20. Now he pulled away from the DBs, so that may be evidence of it. I saw Cole McCoy pull away from A&M DBs yeah. right, back in the day. Um, and that's a problem too, by the way. I, I'm, I'm I'm upset with that defensive backs that you couldn't catch Arch Manning. <laughs> that's a problem. But if he's running 20 miles per hour, then I get why you couldn't catch him. I'm except I'm just shocked that he's playing the wrong position. Like, you know, it's 20 miles per hour. <laughs> I don't even realize how fast it was. Like, he kind of nonchalantly just kind of we just kind of went past that. And I was like 20, 20 miles. I would have that should have been a follow up question. 20 miles per hour. So can you tell me how fast Xavier Worthy's running? Yeah. Is he is he, at, is he Usain Bolt? Because like, I want to say, like, Bijan. Yes! say Bijan's top number last year was, like, 17. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, <laughs> I would have kept that to myself. That's what, that's what no, I, I think Arch is fast. I think he's fast, too. Like I said, 20 miles per hour is, like, you. I, now I need context on everybody else's speed is my point. Yeah. Like, Jay Witt. Hey, I want to say Jay Witt threw out there that he was at one time clocked at like 21, 20. I just need to know what the numbers are because right now I'm like Arch Manning's like one of the fastest guys on the team is what you're telling me. Uh, if you look at the NFL numbers, it's 21.25 was the 20th fastest by Terry McLaurin last year and 22.11 was the fastest in the NFL. But, know exactly. you know, Arch was, <laughs> yeah. He has some wheels, man. I know he does, but like I said, now I listen. I I'm not I'm not questioning the stat and the fact, the numbers. I now need context on everybody else's speed. Yeah. And now, by the way, you need your DBs to be taking track because they need to get faster. <laughs> your DB, by the way, what I'm what I'm telling you is your DBs are now too slow. 
if Arch is running 20 miles per hour and leaving your DB? Well, while we think about the uh, the miles per hour that Arch can run and Arch being <laughs> right. on the uh, the next Seriously. U.S. Olympic uh, relay team. <laughs> Uh, just, it's amazing anyway sorry go ahead no now i now i'm mad at myself rod because i don't know like you're you're during those press conferences i'm digesting so much information that i guess that oh yeah you got questions already ready to go that you want to yeah. ask yeah so yeah. Say, if i was there, i'd been like uh excuse me why i need a follow-up <laughs> coach i need to know what xavier worthy's running in mph is in because sorry without giving sark is he's very forthcoming yeah. those media availabilities he gives you he gives you information that basically all your on y'all's insider reports mm -hmm. you never had tom herman and matt brown doing that stuff he's giving you like hey who got the interception who got the fumble recovery in the scrimmage you don't usually get that stuff from coaches maybe just a modernized approach but i love it it actually makes his press conference and media availabilities must listen to and must watch uh like you know broadcast yeah, there's been some press conferences that people are like, well, I watched the press conference. I'm like, why? Like, if I didn't have to be there, I wouldn't watch it. Like, it's exactly. Like, you know, there's, there's no point in it. But no, Sark does keep things interesting. But when you look at this, when you look at this backup quarterback battle, Rod, I mean, I, I I do like the fact that they're keeping it going. I think I think here's what's key to remember about Malik Murphy, and I think I wrote this during some practice observations earlier in camp. I think people need to remember he's missed so much time on the field because of injury. Yes, he's more experienced, quote unquote, than Arch because he's been on campus longer. But in terms of on-field reps, it's not like he's light years ahead of where Arch is. I mean, the best work he got since he's been here, probably bowl practices last year. And then, you know, the part of spring where he wasn't hurt. Yeah, that's a good point. You're right about that. And so, honestly, I'm with you. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, you, you go ahead, Rod. You're good. Uh, no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm with you. I think we just we haven't really seen much. The crazy part is n none of these quarterbacks, and they're all obviously you know highly rated quarterbacks. Um, you know, we haven't we gotten a chance to see a lot of Malik Murphy. We, we've just seen the really impressive flashes in the spring game, of course, and then even with Quinn Ewers, of course, we've only got a limited sample size with him too, mm -hmm. uh, because he ended up getting hurt last year. Uh, so, yeah, I'm with you. I think a lot is still yet to be revealed about the projection and the evaluation of these QBs. I did think it was interesting that Sark said that room is uh, on the practice field. They're executing and performing at a higher level than they were in the spring, which that room in the spring was at a higher level overall than it was last season. So you're seeing some progression, but, you know, Rod, you take what I just said about Malik, you take what you just said about Quinn, and then we know Arch is, you know, in his first camp, haven't gotten here in the spring. If he, if these quarterback prospects are as good as we say they are, then this is what should be happening, right? Like you should, at some point, you should these see these guys just make incremental improvements to where it feels like okay, one or two of these guys might be getting ready to take off because they're still again, Quinn's got the experience. He was at Ohio State for a season, but again, in terms of on field experience, he pretty much had none when he got here. So they're all, they're all in different stages of their development in terms of experience, but again, not that far off in terms of if you add up the cumulative number of practice snaps and obviously Quinn now has the game experience. It's not that much of a gap between the three of them. You could be right about that, man. And I always, you know, one of my theories out there, conspiracy theories that part of the reason 
that Malik Murphy stayed, even though, yes, BMD, shout out to the NIL um, organizations and all of the efforts there to keep Texas, you know, in, you know, in the lead or at least one of the leaders in the NIL arms race. I'm sure you kept him because he's got a nice little bag, which is good for him. Um, but I think that Malik Murphy believes that he can play with Quinn Ewers. I think yeah. he I think he's watched Quinn Ewers in practice. There's an element to this when you're watching guys in practice who are considered to be elite at their craft and they're the best in the country or highly highest rated guys, whatever it may be. Trust me, I came in with some of those guys uh, and I got a chance to play with some of those guys. And yeah, there's a bit of a measuring contest. Yeah. <laughs> it ain't as literal as going into the shower with your teammates and going, hey, man, look at you and look at me. No, it is. But you are looking up. You're like, OK, this guy was rated higher than me. This guy's supposed to be uh, an elite prospect. He's, he's a five star. You know what? Let me see how I measure up. And you go rep for rep. All right, I'm going to go right after you and do the same rep. I'm going to do it better. And I trust me, I had that, you know, I had that attitude with a lot of guys that came to Texas. That's part of being a competitive athlete. And I think Malik Murphy has that type of drive and that mentality going, I'm looking at Quinn Ewers. He's supposed to be the highest rated quarterback prospect of all time, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Then let, let me see how my, my skill set stacks. I respect that. I respect him, no doubt. That's why he's here. He's my teammate. But let me see how I stack up with him. He's my teammate. All right. Let me see if I actually should have been a guy that should have been rated higher or if I do actually have to, uh, you know, basically learn from a, a, a superior prospect and I'm inferior in that way. But most real competitors don't believe that. They believe that they're just as good as the guy that's highly rated. So I think Murphy's got some of that going. I do. I really do. I think he believes in his head, and he should. I, I wouldn't recruit a guy if he didn't believe this, that I'm just as good as Quinn Ewers. Yeah, I may be better, actually. Yeah, it's <laughs> – I mean, you know, Rod, you were, I think probably your time on campus was the last time Texas had this word because in, in consecutive recruiting classes, I mean, you brought in Chris Sims, Chance Mop, Matt Nordgren, and Vince Young. And I know we have fun on this podcast at Norco's Norco. expense, but he, <laughs> was he not? Was he not the top ranking quarterback in the state when he came out? You might be right about that. You know, I, I wasn't like you, in recruiting then, so I don't remember. And he had a cup of coffee in the NFL, so it's not like Norco was just a complete bum. It's just that, hey, you know, and granted, times were completely different 20 years ago compared to where they are now. But it's kind of the same deal, right? Like, you see somebody's trajectory. I wouldn't be shocked if Chance Mock was like, you know what? I, I think I'm I think I'm better than, than Chris Sims. I'm, I'm going to hang out and see. Uh, you know, that there's a reason why Chance stayed his senior year. Yep. When, when he could have gone to, to an FCS school and, and played and, and, and been a starter. Uh, so you tie it all together. It's just, it's, it's been that long since we've seen not just this, this much talent in the room, but this much talent that their developmental tracks are all started at different places, but it seems like they're all ascending in some way, shape or form. I don't know, man. It's just, it's been a long time, right? Since that quarterback room has been this unique of an organism because like, you know, Cameron Rising and Quentin Jackson, they weren't here long enough. Guys like that, they weren't here long enough for us to see Great. what they yeah. could do in a quarterback room. So, yeah. and Quentin Jackson's not even playing quarterback at Utah right now. So, even though I thought he could have been really, really good at that position. But I digress. Rod, uh, I think we talked about this last week. I don't remember. I've slept since then. But are, are you are you at the point now? First off, anything else you want to say about quarterback before we move on? Uh, no, but I, I think Sark has that position Probably in, in honestly, and you just described it. He's got it in a place where I don't. It, it's such and it's such a unique uh, position that he has the, the, the that position room in right now. 
Uh, I don't think we've witnessed anything like it before, where you have the upside of all of these, you know, five-star quarterback prospects like Arch and Quinn, and then you just look at the raw material that <laughs> you get in Malik Murphy, and then also have these guys where the rate of development and it looks like their trajectory, they all, like you said, seem to be on a positive one. Yeah. It may not be at the same speed and they may be on different schedules, but Quinn is improving, getting better. Even last season, his one of his better games was that game against Washington. Malik Murphy finally getting healthy, see him in the spring game. Wow moment for anybody who watched it, even to the point where teams were, you know, trying to recruit him and trying to poach him at mm -hmm. Texas, tampering uh, to a certain extent. And then you have Arch now, first scrimmage um, after the spring game, people were underwhelmed, but now the first scrimmage, the reports are he was fantastic. He was great. Looks like um, he's already made some strides. Really, I don't know if we've witnessed this. Even when Chris Sims was here uh, on, on campus and I was there too, and then you brought in a chance mock and then later brought in a Vince Young. Uh, those were all five-star prospects. You talk about having Norco there too. I don't know if we had them all on a, pos on a positive, constructive trajectory and on, on their rate of development all kind of you know on the on a positive rate of development and all of those things going maybe according to plan but at least going the right trajectory going the right way i don't yeah. know if we've all witnessed that because when vy came remember even with vy coming on campus hell when vy still getting starting reps people are theorizing and hypothesizing he should move to wide receiver because mm -hmm. they're not sure what to do with VY until they change the office and tailor it to them. So I think you're right. I, I don't think we've witnessed this. And by the way, with Sark, we all know what his offense is going to be. With Greg Davis, remember, he would change his offense. True, yeah. From quarterback to quarterback. And he had a different offense with Chris Sims, different offense with VY, different offense with Colt. That is not going to be the case with Sark. It will be the same offense, pretty much the tent poles of it. And he recruits quarterbacks that he knows can fit in his system, which is why you're seeing almost a, a similar, similar traits with the quarterbacks in terms of the big golden arm that can make any throw. That's, that's the kind of the commonality of all the quarterbacks that he recruits with Mac Brown. That wasn't always the case, right? Well, I didn't have that big golden arm. He had other skills that would be weaponized and could be lethal, uh, Cole McCoy, same thing, right? Accuracy with him and overall football acumen. Sims had the golden arm. So the quarterbacks were all different and the systems were all different. This time, maybe we're seeing the uh, the trajectory and the timeline and the schedules all line up and maybe they're always on a positive trajectory because it's the same system and you don't have to worry about resetting. Everybody's in the system. Everybody knows terminology. Everybody's talking about the system in the room. Same system, same terminology. We're going over it. Boom. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. And we got the mental reps going over and over again with Greg Davis. You couldn't do that because the system was going to reset and change on you. Yeah. Unlike now, the system's always be the same. And, and I think, too, what's important to remember, like you go back to the Tom Herman era, like I said, Cameron Rising wasn't here long enough for us to figure out what his developmental track was. Good and one. even you look at like, let's take a look at 2020, right? That year was so wonky. Like we saw Casey Thompson in the bowl game, but we didn't really see or hear much about Casey because that team, that team was so, especially on offense, that team was so built around Sam and geared around Sam's skill set that 
it really almost, I don't want to say it didn't matter what the other guys did, but you you kind of knew what you were going to get from the offense. And you knew it was, okay, it's going to be a little bit different when, when Casey Thompson's running. And it's going to be a little different than when Hudson Card's running it. And, and we didn't really, like I said, it was such a wonky year, didn't re- really get a feel for where, where Casey was until he played at the end of the year. And I don't know that we ever really got a feel for where Hudson Card was. So, and granted, those are circumstances, a lot of those were out of Tom Herman's control and out of Mike Yersich's control, but now, I, I think that that point you brought up, Rod, I think is the most important. Like, Sark's not going to suddenly decide, hey, because, you know, Arch Manning could beat Carl Lewis in a foot race all of a sudden, uh, we're not going to start running the we're not going to start running the wishbone. Exactly. You know? Exactly. <laughs> so, Great whatever. Point. I kid, I jest about Arch's speed, but we'll, we'll move <laughs> hey, on. Hey, <laughs> man, we, 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 all, we all slept on Arch's speed. Now we know. Apparently so. Apparently so. (laughs) Um, Rod, I'll ask you this quite simply, man. Are we, are you ready to buy into the Alfred Collins hype? Because I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty dang close, man. I've heard enough that makes me feel safe about taking that leap of faith. Um, It is interesting because there are a lot of reasons to, to buy the hype, right? Because Bo Davis has a great resume and we saw what Bo Davis did with Keandre Colburn last year who I you know I think Keandre Colburn was a guy we assumed we had the scouting report on and the scouting report was out on Keandre Colburn and what type of player he was not that he was a bad player but we just knew who he was uh, you know not every not an every down defensive lineman um, not a ton of added value in terms of adding uh, being able to apply pressure and being a pass rusher um, he was pretty much a run stuffing early down defender in the interior yeah. D line. And Bo Davis changed that. And his last season, Kendra Coburn became more of an every down interior defense lineman that could apply pressure to the opposing quarterback. Uh, we saw with more Ojimo, I mean, there's a guy that can move around the front. Um, we saw him take a, a leap under Bo Davis. And Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy are expected also to, to take a similar leap. So Bo Davis has a you know, he has a history of, of development, guys getting better. So that's one yeah. reason to buy in. Uh, the second reason to buy in, you saw it. Like you saw it with players at last year, like we mentioned, guys with Keandre Colburn and more Ojimo. You're going to see it again, I think, with Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy. And yes, maybe even Alfred Collins. Also, I'll say this too with, with Alfred Collins. We're waiting on more of the intangibles and the immeasurables with him. And maybe that includes a little of the football acumen as well, because physically he has no limitations. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you, so it's, 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 it should be an ease. Like there are other guys, we have shortcomings. Robbie is five, eight. All right. I'm five, eight. Uh, so I got some shortcomings just naturally, physically that you got to deal with. Right. Um, there are other guys like even, I think even Byron Murphy has to deal with like Byron Murphy is pretty stout. Like he's mm-hmm. not a long rangy defensive lineman. So that will affect the way that he takes on blocks, the way he uses leverage, uh, the way that, you know, he decides to uh, be a pass rusher. And when he is going to penetrate the backfield, he'll do it in a different way. Um, BGO, all that changes depending on your dimensions as a player and the, some, of, some of those being shortcomings as a player, right? Deuce Vaughn has a different style than a guy like B. John Robinson. Just right. is going to be different. Um, with Alfred Collins, he doesn't have any of those limitations physically. Physically, he checks almost every box for just a, a war daddy. Somebody you can move around the defensive front. What they're waiting on from Alfred Collins, from what I've heard, they're waiting on consistent intensity. 
They're waiting on um, a, a mentality of physicality. They're waiting on him to almost decide that he's unblockable because physically mm-hmm. there is nothing that they're waiting on. Even Sark remarked about it at the last media availability. He said D lineman in high school. And you let me know if you agree with this. I, I don't pay attention to as much high school uh, football as you do. And you've been, you were once follow recruiting. So you actually went to a lot of games and watched these guys. He said that defense alignment in high school, you don't see them give like consistent, ferocious effort on every play because they know they're, they're, they're basically, um, they're, they essentially know they're going to play 40, 50 plays in a game. They'll play a lot of plays. Well, they can get away so, with it. They can get, they're good enough to get away with it at that level. That's a good point. Good enough to get away with it. And he knows like, no, no, no. When I need to exert myself, I will. I don't need to overly exert myself and tire myself out throughout the throughout the game so I can be fresh for those downs where I can be maximized and weaponized. And he said, we have to teach them and program them when they come here to Texas, go hard every play. We'll give you rest. You just yeah. need to go all out, empty the tank for us. We'll, we'll rotate you and keep guys fresh, but we need you to empty the tank. And guys don't empty the tank in high school because they know, well, hey, man, I'm the best player on defense. I probably got to play 40, 50 snaps. I can't empty my tank on play three in the first quarter. Right, right. I, You know, I heard Sark say that yesterday, and the first name that came to my mind was Malcolm Brown back when he was at Brenham. And Interesting. Like, Mal was a freak athlete for, for a guy 6'3", you know, what was he at the time, three, like right around 300 pounds. And I, rem- <laughs> I remember going to one of his games. They were playing in Huntsville. And I remember I, uh, I can still see it. On, I'm on the sideline. And he had had a drive. The other team was starting to move the ball. And he had a drive where, Rod, you remember coaches used to use the term titty bumping, right? You just kind of stand oh, up yeah. and lean on a guy. <laughs> Malcolm was doing that. And then Glenn West, who was the head coach of Brenham at the time, good dude. I just see Coach West just get probably right to the numbers and just scream, Malcolm. And he's trying to get his attention. Doesn't say anything. Just gives him a look. And I'm like, that's interesting. The very next play, Malcolm Brown takes the guard over him, drives him into the backfield, damn near tackles the guard and the ball carrier. Because <laughs> it's one of those deals. It's like, hey, snap out of it. We need to play, son. And, and you know, he's good enough that when he hits the ceiling, he does that. I think yeah. the guy, guys, the really talented defensive tackles, not the guys that you have to mold and, and maybe you found some tools or whatever, but the guys that have the five-star skill sets, the first-round skill sets, the guys that are productive earlier in their careers are the guys that get it. They get it really quick. Like Rod, Casey Hampton is, other other than the guys that have numbers on the wall, whatever, Casey Hampton is my all-time favorite Longhorn. I always say, if you look at Sean Rogers, Casey Hampton's not built the ideal way you would build a defensive tackle. Like there's a certain, especially at the NFL, there's a certain type of defense Casey Hampton needs to be in for you to maximize him. If mm-hmm. if God, if God, or you said, if you went to the gates of heaven and said, Lord, build me a defensive tackle, he'd build Sean Rogers. <laughs> I agree. This is the guy he would build. Yep. But I think what separated the two, and you play with him, so you tell me if I'm wrong, I it felt like Casey understood that a lot earlier in his career than big Sean Rogers did. That's no doubt. Yeah, because uh, Sean, it's crazy you say that, because Sean Rogers, they would always joke they got to get him mad. Yeah, like get him upset. Like he would, he get mad because somebody, you know, they pulled a dirty move on him in the game, 
or the ref didn't call a hold and he would come back to the sideline and just lose it and everybody go, oh man, they're in trouble now. They upset him because he was more considered as a big teddy bear. And yeah. you didn't have that ferocious, consistent intensity. You're like, this guy, when he decides that he doesn't want to be blocked, he's one of those guys. Big Sean Rogers is not going to get blocked. But there was talk that you had to, that he had to be like in a in a state, in a certain state to, to be that guy. And Casey mm-hmm. Hampton, he had a switch. Well, he could flip that on. And he was he was always that guy. But Big Sean Rogers, you're right. He had the he had all the raw material. And of course, he was a second round pick in the NFL and yeah. played in the NFL for a really long time. So he's a damn good player. But I remember that being the narrative for both of them is that, oh no, they pissed off Sean. Man, now he's now he's going and, that, and even if they double team him, it don't matter. He's about to wreak some havoc and disrupt yeah. everything. And, and and it was one of those things where once he was pissed off, that's when you saw the best of him with Casey. Maybe he was just always pissed off. He yeah. did have that face. <laughs> That's how uh, he played. Yeah. By the way, Casey Hampton had the greatest Longhorn Hall of Honor speech ever because I think it seriously lasted about 45 seconds. Like it wasn't, I believe that. It that, wasn't, sound, it wasn't, that sounds like Casey. That sounds like long. Big Ham. You're watching, yep. I, I remember watching that on Longhorn Network. I'm like, ooh, I want to see what Casey says. And it was like 45 seconds later. I'm like, damn, that was it? Like, if I'd have got it to go to the bathroom, I'd have missed that. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. That sounds just like Big Ham for me. But you know what, Rod? I think, too, Getting back to the Alfred Collins factor, and I'll, I'll give you a comp for Alfred Collins here in a second. You tell me how far off I am. But I think the other thing that big guys deal with, with too, and you deal with this with the offensive line, a lot of times, if you're 6'6", 300-plus pounds, you didn't just, more, more often than not, you didn't just hit a growth spurt like when you were a freshman or, or a sophomore in high school. You've probably always been the bigger kid in your class. You've probably always been the bigger kid around your friends. And what do you see parents always tell the bigger kids when they're younger? Take it easy. You might hurt the little kids. Don't play so That's rough. Tough. And then all of a sudden they start playing sports. And then now you have to flip that switch. And I think for some kids, psychologically, it takes them a little long. Like, wait, I've been told my whole life not to be rough. Now you're mad at me for not being rough enough. Mm-hmm. And I think that psychologically is something guys have to work through. That's a great point. I never thought about that, but you're right. That's programming right there. Yeah. That's programming. You're right. And and I've seen that so much from big kids playing with little kids, even if they're a little bit older or they're just naturally, you know, a little bit more, uh, a little bigger because they just had a growth spurt a little bit earlier or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. Uh, no, you're right about that, man. That's a great point. Never thought about that. Um, but the comp I was going to make for Alfred Collins, right, if, if somebody wants to know, like, what would Alfred Collins look like if he played at a maximum level and got the most out of what he's got on a consistent snap-to-snap basis? Go watch Chris Jones with the Chiefs. I think that's what Alfred Collins would be. If you got if you got the absolute best out of Alfred Collins on a snap-to-snap basis, you would get Chris Jones. Yeah, Junk Jones. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, Chris Jones, Junk came out of his, yeah. it like burst <laughs> out of his tights when he was running it running at the, the cup 40. line, running the 40. <laughs> and it, forever did I call him Junk Jones, did not know he was going to become the second best interior defensive tackle in the NFL behind Aaron Donald, but yeah, that Jones, who's also holding out right now because he knows how much he is actually right. worth. <laughs> if, his, if his junk uh, broke the tape first, broke the digital tape first, does he get credit <laughs> for that? <laughs> no, that was, that was I, don't think, I mean, that was a wild, people forget about that, that was one of the wildest scenes I've ever witnessed at the combine. He was just running and his junk just exploded out of his, <laughs> his compression shorts and I, I mean, that's a hell of a compliment. I, I would, I yeah. would tell that story a lot if I was. I'd be like, "Listen, man, 
my junk could not be contained. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know Chris Jones's <laughs> marital status, but I'm gonna go ahead and guess he probably didn't have trouble finding a date for a while after that's that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Junk Jones, baby. <laughs> but no, that's that's kind of what when I look at. I agree Biden's, with that comp though, bro. Yeah. You that's a great comp, and I totally because because Chris Jones, he's one of those guys physically, uh, as an for an interior defensive lineman. That's and they move him around too, actually. And that's the kind of mm-hmm. thing. Remember, I said that to you about Alfred Collins a couple of years ago. I said, Man, ideally, with his frame, he, he should be able to play any shade on the defensive line. Yeah, ideally, you should be able to move him to end, you should be able to put him inside, you should be wherever you see a weakness on the deal on the O line, you should be able to move Alfred Collins to that spot. Ideally, that's what kind of physical frame and physical measurables you're dealing with, and they do that with Chris Jones. Yeah. He's not just inside. Go watch him. Sometimes they'll put him on the the Chiefs will put him on the outside because they'll figure, you know what? It's a match advantage. We'll just put him on the outside on this. Yeah, side. yeah. Because yeah. he because because even at you know I don't know what he what he's listed at now, but Chris Jones coming out of Mississippi State, six five and three quarters, three ten. Even Ooh. at that size, even at that size, and I'm not I'm not saying Chris Jones is is Reggie White or Bruce Smith, but. Yeah, there's just some guys that at 290, 300, 285, whatever, they can win outside one-on-one against an offensive tackle. They just they, the, to to kind of put a bow on the Alfred Collins discussion, Rod, and I told you this when when he was coming out of high school. God only makes a certain number of people with those kind of physical gifts. The length, the height, <laughs> yeah. the 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 leaping ability, the explosiveness, mm-hmm. the power. And that's why we made him a five-star prospect. And prospect is the key term to remember there. Prospect mm-hmm. means you're not a finished product. And it's like, man, if this kid hits his ceiling, there's no question. Alfred Collins' ceiling is a first-round draft pick. Oh, no yeah. Question. He, dude, he could, he could not start this year and just be a rotational player, and he would still get an NFL shot. And yeah. he's not. And I get drafted. Hell, I wouldn't doubt some team in the seventh round was like, hell, I'll take him. But if he just was a, was a rotational uh, contributor this year for Texas, he would get a shot at an NFL team on a roster. I yeah. and, and I can almost guarantee you he'd make a practice squad just because people are going to look at him and go, well, damn, man, I just got to – if I can get some – if I can just coach him up. Whoo, yeah. The ceiling is, you know, tremendous. I have to – the upside is out of this world. I have to see – if two years of NFL coaching and me getting in his kid's head can really turn it around for him. Yeah, I uh, I got reminded, Rod, of one of your legitimate beefs with Dwayne Aquino. I got reminded about that, writing about Johnny Manziel when the Untold documentary came out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Of course, I, love, I love my man Trey Scott, but I got the email. It's like, hey, we want to put something out the morning the documentary airs. Can you run down Johnny Manziel's recruitment to Texas? I'm like, oh, oh. please. I was like, I won't be as detailed as I can, so I never have to write or talk about this ever again, and I can just <laughs> just send people a link. But you know, Johnny Manziel was gonna get an offer. Dwayne Aquino did like him as a safety, mm-hmm. but he never made it to Kerrville to tell Johnny he was pre-approved for an offer because he stopped at San Antonio Stevens and watched Mikel Thompson one more time, and he's oh! like. Hey. He's like a six-two corner with those arms. That's a legitimate twenty-five foot long jumper. And Dwayne Aquino just fell in love with the Mikel Thompson skill set. Man, he just he fell. He in loved love. that guy. He said he he told me that that guy had a Thorpe Award ceiling. Like, and I, I and I, I love like, Mikel, but Mikel's one of those guys that he kept he he kept getting chances in the league. Like 
The Giants took him in the fifth round. Rod, Giants took him ahead of Quandre Diggs. Giants fans give you grief for going in the fourth round. And I love Mikel. Mikel's one of my favorite people that I've covered since I've been doing this. You you had a much better college career, Rod, than Mikel Thompson did. But you weren't 6'2 with that length. And I don't know what your long jump was in high school, but it probably wasn't 26 feet. Bro, um, if I was if I had those measurables, I probably would have gone in the second round. No, no BS. I'm not messing. I probably would have. Rod, if you had those measurables, you wouldn't be sitting here doing a podcast with us right now. <laughs> exactly. And with all due respect, yeah, I mean, you're Rod Beasley <laughs> different at different places. If you're six two with a twenty six foot long jump, it's, it's yeah. a different, different ball game. That's a great point. And if you coach Akina, even the, he's the best DB coach at any level of football I've ever known. Uh, but Every no matter how great of a coach you are, you can just fall in love with the measurables, fall mm-hmm. in love with you know the the the, the package, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. not necessarily have the uh, have the that that package may not have the contents to be the yeah. great player you expect them to be. But the coach is not worried about the contents because remember that's why they, it's it's an exercise in ego because mm-hmm. the coach is all about hey I can supply the content. Yeah, I just need a frame. Uh-huh. What I cannot supply are, you know, uh, long wingspan, six two height. Uh, <laughs> I can't supply that. You can't su- a coach, no matter how good he is, unless that coach is Jesus Christ. That coach cannot build you an Alfred Collins. Right. But a great coach can turn an Alfred Collins frame into a great player by being able to reprogram them. And yeah. coach them up and, and turn them into a student on the field. So that's why every coach, they will fall in love with the frame. And they will fall in love with the package because they assume I will provide the content because yeah. I'm a great coach. And it's an exercise in ego because if you are if you, if you are a great coach and you believe you're a great coach, then hell yeah, you should roll the dice on that guy with that. Like you said, God only makes so many guys and so many human beings with a frame like Alfred Collins or a frame like Mikael Thompson. So mm-hmm. you better roll the dice on that. <laughs> yeah, and the and the Giants did in the fifth round, and Mikel got uh, a couple of different chances to stick in the league. But then, yeah, you, like if if Quandre Diggs, it's like let's switch Mikel Thompson and Quandre Diggs the early parts of their career, right? Like if Mikel found a home and was a special teams guy, then gradually, you know, ascended to where maybe he's a he's in your dime package or your nickel package, even though nickel is based for the most part now. Like I think Mikel Thompson had a pretty solid career. If Quandre had had like the injuries and stuff that Mikel dealt with, there's no, maybe he gets one chance, but there's no way Quandre is getting like three or four chances to make a roster. No, I'm just doing that. because no. they'll look at the measures and be like, why am I going to waste my time on it? And again, Quandre yeah, is part of the show. We love Quandre, but if I'm an NFL GM, like, why am I going to waste my time on a guy that's 5'10, 200, 5'9, 200 pounds? Whatever that's a great Quandre. point. The assumption would be he didn't make it because of yes. his shortcomings. Yes. Yeah. Like, that's why he didn't make it. Why am I going to take the chance on? Right. That's why he's hurt. He's got no durability. He can't stay up in the league. But we know the story now. Quandre, I'm not surprised that he's had as, as long of an NFL career. Still going strong, by the way. Made his well, made, best safeties in the league. Yeah, got <laughs> voted to a couple Pro Bowls and just got a contract <laughs> extension. So we love Even we after love the him. injury, he came back pretty strong after the injury. So I'm, I'm happy for Quandre. Amazing. And I'll say I'll say it, Rod, so you don't have to. Apparently, finally grew into his head. So congratulations to Quandre. Man, that head, it the, the head that he has now is the same size as when he was coming around when he when Quentin Jammer would bring his his little brother around, which was Quandre. And his head, I swear, has not grown at all. It hadn't shrunk shrank either, but it's the same size head. 
It's amazing. But oh, as far as great. I think he's a great player. He was he was soaking in all that knowledge. His frame, <laughs> even back then, as a as a as a preteen, his brain was still the same size. Smart Some, kid. Smart something kid. something had to go in there. That's like <laughs> I, 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 have a, I have a buddy like that that you look at his baby pictures. I'm like, dude, does your mom ever think like there was an alien or something growing inside your head? Like, look at that, <laughs> that dome, man. Good Lord, son. Dome, man. For That's real. Um, but you know, we shouldn't be surprised by by Alfred Collins' ascent for a couple of reasons. One, like we just talked about, the uh, just the talent and just getting it out of him. Two, number again, an, another thing is Bo Davis is a really good defensive tackle coach. Yes, but Rod, Rod, when you look at the positions that where we've seen guys have this late career resurgence, more often than not, it's defensive linemen, right? Like we saw it from. You know, granted, because he played behind Sean Rogers and Casey Hampton, like Marcus Tubbs was one of those guys that had kind of a later career resurgence, was kind of a rotational guy. And then, boom, all of a sudden, here's Marcus Tubbs ends up being a first round draft pick. And maybe Tubbs isn't the best example of that. But uh, you think about a guy like Henry Melton on the defensive line, started out as a running back and ends up being a high draft pick because of Will Muschamp and that defensive staff. I remember uh, before I get to the guys I'm going to mention, Chris Whaley, another guy, started at running back, thought he was a lost call. Again, a Bo Davis guy turns him into a really productive player that got a chance to stick in the league. Injuries derailed his career, but uh, Chris Whaley was a good player at Texas. I remember saying after the Maryland game, Tom Herman's first year, man, when Maryland ran for, I don't even know how many yards, Tyrell Pigroom in that that run game turned out. Oh, yeah. But I remember saying after the game, like Chris Nelson, Puna Ford, they're just guys, man. There's nothing special about those guys. And that was a year where Puna Ford ends up being Big 12 Defensive Lineman of the Year and ends up going to the Senior Bowl. Because for Puna, again, a little more of a specialized skill set, they found the role that fit him perfectly mm-hmm. at, at, in, in, that, in that odd front, in that lightning package. Uh, so so we've, we've seen this from guys before. Chris Nelson's another guy that, like, okay, kind of a – I don't want to say he was a non-factor, but he was just kind of there his first few years. Ends up being a really important piece of a, ten, a team that won 10 games, played for a Big 12 title, and won a Sugar Bowl. So we've seen these guys emerge before. So there's history. You, Rod, you just mentioned snacks. We shouldn't be surprised that it's a defensive lineman because typically those guys have tools. It's either you've got to get get what you can out of them, get them to maximize it, or just put them in the right place. I think to tie the Alfred Collins conversation together, I think it's both. I think it's finding the right role for him and getting that out of him. Maybe that's why it's taking a little bit longer. Yeah, that's a good point, though, uh, about the trend of defensive linemen having breakout campaigns late in their careers. And some, I mean, first of all, you're in a grown man's position. Mm-hmm. So it could just be, you know, uh, you know, multiple years in, you know, strength and conditioning, uh, you know, and in the weight room. And now, you know, on a college diet, not college diet, but a, you know, a, a real athletic department diet uh, mm-hmm. and the nutrition staff and all that. And, in addition to that, yeah, you're becoming more of a grown man. I mean, yeah. you know, Snacks, Keldrick Cobra, I tell you, he's a grown man at that point. He's getting ready to start a family, literally. So, yeah. he's, so I, it could be – that's a great point about the trend, man. I got to go back and look, but you've named a few, and I think you you, just, you hit the nail on the head there. I think mean, maybe the right system helps too because by the end of their career, sometimes there's a system change yeah. with a lot of these guys, and they end up you know put into a system that can maximize their talent. And then sometimes, yeah, it's the guys – adapting their skill set and having more of a well-rounded skill set late in their careers where they can be a better 
player depending on what the system needs. If you need me to be a run stuffer, I can do that. If you need me to be a pass rusher, I can do that. Um, and I think Keandre Colburn kind of ended up with, with both of those situations happening. So I agree with you, man. That's a great point about late in the careers of D linemen. Do they kind of have that breakout campaign? Yeah, I mean, Lamar Houston was one of those guys that started it in. And then when they kicked him inside, because he already had the natural pass rush skills, he became a completely different player when they mm. kicked him inside. Yep. Um, who's the guy? Oh, Keaston Randall's another guy. Like, we we didn't really think about Keaston Randall before 2011. He was there. We knew he was there. But then all of a sudden, he's a key piece on one of the best defenses in the country. Yep. Came an NFL draft pick after that, yeah. Maybe. Right. So maybe we just need to not – maybe this should teach us a lesson. When even when you get young, really talented defensive tackles, maybe not expect so much of them right off the bat. But when you do get something from them early, that's how you know you got a special one. Yep. I so agree. that's a good uh, Moving on, right? I want to close it out with some thoughts. Uh, we talked a little. We didn't talk much offense because honestly, at this point, I don't know that there's been a whole lot that stood out as far as being a surprise on offense, but. Uh, and I did want to talk about the. Well, I feel like we talked a lot about the young linebackers too, a lot uh, throughout the throughout the last few months that we've been getting ready for camp and even getting into talking about camp. But Rod, I want to get your opinion on the secondary because I I brought it up to Sark uh, in the press conference. I think I already mentioned this. I was asking about the field corner battle, and he was like, "Well, you know, Terrence Brooks is at a good camp, but he he can play field or boundary." Malik Muhammad, who had a great scrimmage, can play field or boundary. You know, Ryan Watts is on the boundary. You know, Gavin Holmes is to the field side. He feels like they've got a really good rotation there. He said they're four deep at the nickel position right now. We know the depth they've got at safety with Catalan throwing in there. Um, Rod, I know you've been optimistic about the secondary. That may be the position I'm most excited to see how it plays out through the course of 12 games. Because it could early on, it could be there could be I don't want to say growing pains, but maybe some adjustment for those guys. But that position room, that group's got as much upside, I think, as any group, maybe including the offensive line. I think that secondary has got just a tremendous amount of upside. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm excited about that group. Um, I, I, starting with Jade Barron, I think he's going to be fantastic. He's probably my favorite player right now in the secondary. Just love the way he plays the game. Plays with no fear, great instincts, believes his film study. You can tell us why you get 11 and a half tackles for loss for a defensive back. Hasn't happened since Ricky Churchman uh, on the <laughs> Texas in 1978. So it's been a while since a DB had those kind of numbers. Uh, and then you got the boundary corner and Ron Watts. I think he's going to be better this year. He'll be better post post line of scrimmage or after, you know, after his bump, after his jam, post jam. Um, he needs to be better downfield defending routes in terms of being able to sink his hips, and get in and out of the breaks. I expect he's going to be better there. Um, I One guy I expect to make a huge leap this year is Jaron Thompson. Um, I've been keeping track of Havoc plays. And for those who don't know what Havoc plays are, essentially splash plays on defense. You're talking about interceptions, PBUs, forced fumbles, and, you know, sacks, tackles for loss. Those are your splash plays on love, defense. Love, have, love me some Havoc read. Yeah, Havoc rate is – I mean, it's it's great. Jalen Ford actually had more Havoc plays than any other player in the Big 12 last year. So he's your – he's the Havoc leader. He's the Havoc king of the Big 12, um, and he averaged more than one and a half Havoc plays per game. Um, but DeMarvin Overshone ended up being in the top 10, as well as Jaday Barrett in the Big 12. Both of those guys averaging o- around 1.2, a little over 1.2 Havoc plays per game. 
the key is you need more guys that are going to be havoc players. We got, we got them talking about Alfred Collins. Hopefully he can become one of those havoc defenders constantly yeah. causing disruption and, and having impact plays, but you need more guys. Um, and I think another guy that I'm anticipating in the secondary becoming that is Jaron Thompson heard in the scrimmage. Jaron Thompson got a pick, got an interception yep. in a two-minute drill, really nice interception on the sideline and, you know, kind of tight roping the sideline, keeping his feet in. He's the elder statesman of the secondary. He's finally been in the, in the, in the same system longer than anybody else, but in the system long enough to know the terminology, know the checks, know the, 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 cheat, the, the cheat codes within the defense, if you will. And I expect him to not only be able to, you know, be the air traffic controller back there and get guys lined up, but he needs to start being able to make plays and jump plays back there in that defense now yeah. because he knows all the rules and he knows the kind of the, the structure of the defense and what he can get away with within that structure. And he needs to this year, I think I would expect him, his football acumen, football IQ, all that to line up. He's physical now too. He showed last year he oh, can come yeah. down in the box and rock. Uh, somebody in the run game, and he also showed years before that. Matt has always given us stats that in coverage, he's been one of the better coverage safeties in the conference. So that's something that comes naturally to him. This year, I expect him to put it all together. He should be a havoc player. If he's not, you know, top twenty havoc players in the Big Twelve next year, I'll be a little disappointed. You're gonna add Jalen Catalan. He's gonna be a havoc player. I went and looked at his career stats in terms of his havoc rates, and he at this point is averaging over one havoc play per game, and most of his career has been littered with injuries. But yeah. that guy can stay healthy, knock on wood, and you add him to them. That's another havoc player. All right, and what I my theory is, you know, Jeff, that, you know, you can improve on havoc plays, right? I think you can you can practice stripping the ball. You can, you know, coaches get what they emphasize. You can practice stripping the ball. You can try to improve the ball skills of your DBs. But my belief as a football theorist is that some guys are just ball hawks and some guys ain't. Yep. Right? Some guys have a different mentality when it comes to the way they play the game. And they believe they have a right to the football. Mm -hmm. And I play with these guys. I play with Derrick Johnson. I play with Nathan Vasher. I play with Michael Huff. And I admired those guys. And I looked at their skill set you know, in, in disbelief at times. And it, it wowed me because they had the attitude of that's my ball. The mm -hmm. ball's in the air. It's mine. I have as much a right to the football as you do. Everybody doesn't believe that. I play with great fundamentals. I play with great technique. I was a damn good cover guy. I could play man to man, you know, as well as any damn body, man. That was kind of my calling card, but I was not a ball hawk. All right. It, I was not a habit. Play. It didn't come naturally to me. I had a lot of PBUs. Half of those were drops, right? Um, top five all time in, in PBU. So that, those weren't all great. But in terms of the havoc defenders, guys who were impact players and who really sought out the football, they 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 sought to get the football back. We know Derek Johnson and the tomahawk you know, chop move that he used to use, and Nathan Basher and his ball skills. You need to promote guys like that yeah. on your defense. They Trevon Diggs, he's just a ball hawk. You can always dial back their recklessness. You can you can infuse their their you know their play with some fail safes and give them great fundamentals and technique to so they can fall back on that. Mm -hmm. But man, you don't want to take Quandre Dix. You got him talking about. It. You don't want to take yeah. the ball hawkishness away from guys like that because to me, it's something innate. You're born with it. Not every you can't you can try to develop and get better at it, but you're born with that man. That guy's just Nathan Basher, Derek Johnson, Michael Huff. Quandre Diggs, but they just play Aaron, Aaron Ross. They play the game differently because they believe the ball is theirs. 
Like yeah. I, it's mine. I have a right to it. I didn't play like that. I was just trying to do my damn job and I did it pretty well. But some guys go above and beyond their damn job. Part of their job is the ball. And they always thinking about the ball. I was thinking about defending my guy, covering the yeah. wide receiver. They're thinking about how can I go get the ball? And you need guys that are like that on your defense. Jalen Ford, he's like that. Jalen Ford's like, I'm trying to go get the ball. Yeah. That's my damn job. All right. I think Jade Barron's like, man, I'm trying to get the ball. That's my job. You need more of those guys with that attitude. Jaron Thompson needs to be one. Jalen Catalan already has that attitude. That's the kind of guy that he is. And if you have guys like that, they will naturally get you more <clears throat> tackles for loss. They'll naturally get you more forced fumbles. They'll naturally get you more fumble recoveries. They'll naturally get you more interceptions and PBUs because they're about the ball. Yeah. I think about a guy, you know, Deshaun Elliott in that 20, oh, 2017 season. Yes. Always yes. around the football. Joseph Osai is another guy. Yep. That, yep. I mean, the people talk about, and I know Joe, I, I know Joe got, got un, unfairly criticized and dumped on for, for what happened in the AFC Championship game. Uh, it's just him trying to make a play and, you know, probably he'd, if he had to do it again, maybe he'd do it different, but that's just the kind of hustle he's got. The, people think about when they think about Joseph Osai's career at Texas, they think about the walk-off sack against Oklahoma State and a couple other ones. The one I think about actually was in a game they lost, right? Not even the interception against LSU. You go back to the Oklahoma game in 2020, there was a play where he runs down the ball carrier, like hawks him down, and yep. as he's going for the tackle, punches the ball out, and it's a forced yep. fumble, and Texas gets the ball back. Like, that's that's coming from a guy that's a front seven defender. Like those guys typically they're like, get the ball on the ground. No, he wants to get the ball out while yep. he gets the ball. He's getting the guy on the ground. Exactly. Malik Muhammad, right? He had yeah. an interception, a pick six in the scrimmage and also had a forced fumble. He's I don't, like I said, I haven't done a, a, a in-depth scouting thorough evaluation, but just off top, he strikes me as one of them dudes. There's yeah. like I said, some guys, they just, they have a different, I played with these guys, Dre Bly. Yeah. Yeah. I played with them. And I, so I, my, my theory is sound that you can't teach this, man. You can't teach it. Yeah. You can't teach it. You can try to enhance your defense's ability to do it, but you just need guys who think about getting the ball. And that's why the Cowboys, right? They led the NFL in takeaways the last two years. They got a bunch of these guys. They yeah. got Trevor and Diggs. He's about the ball. Micah Parsons, all about trying to go get the ball. And recently, you got guys like Donovan Wilson who have become one of some of those guys. And you got, you know, guys like now they're adding Stephon Gilmore because he's a cornerback that's about getting the ball. And I, I, I do believe that there are certain guys and you can identify them. And as long as you trust them to be able to play at a certain level, but also, listen, they're going to they're take some chances. That's what they yeah. are. Sometimes yeah. they're going to try to rip the ball out and miss the tackle. I think about, <laughs> I think about, uh, I think, Rod, maybe, but maybe the last. Really good Texas secondary. We saw that 2017 defense. Uh, oh man! You know you had you had two ball hawks. You had you know Deshaun Elliott was a ball hawk. Chris Boyd was Hill. a ball hawk, and Holton yeah. Hill. But you Holton needed to, you needed to have guys back there like you, you needed a PJ Locke that was just gonna just gonna do his job. Yep. You know you, you and, and I think about that 09 secondary right. Like you got Curtis Brown ball hawk, Earl Thomas ball hawk. Shockey Brown, there's not enough podcasts left in the year, Rod, for I know you to break down everything you can like about Shockey <laughs> Brown's game. But what you need? You need a guy like Blake Gideon that, hey, I don't need you to be a ball hog. I just need you to do your job. Exactly. Be where you're supposed right. to be. Stabilizing so. force. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. With, with Curtis Brown and Earl Thomas, we're going to get plenty of turnovers. I just need you to not let anything bad happen. Just do your job yeah. and you'll be okay. All right, speaking of doing our jobs, uh, we have got to do our job and wrap this thing up. So uh, good talk and when we talk next week, we'll be wrapping up camp and maybe looking at a projected depth chart and 
all kinds of stuff as we motor along, getting ready for game week, gentlemen. Getting ready, getting baby. Closer and closer and closer. Rod B, uh, uh, Matt, are you there with us, sir? Yes, sir. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're the man. You're more than welcome. Hello, everyone. It's Mike Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Beats. Rod B, appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at Horns 24-7 and the 24-7 Sports Network. For the Horns 24-7 family, for the Longhorn Blitz family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.